You got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Electric People. This is going to be a special episode today. Just so our listeners know, Adam and I get more DMs and texts to feature more professional women on our podcast than probably any other request, don't we? I would say angry DMs and texts. Yeah, like, we need like, more women like, on what here, is man. The deal? So this is a special episode today. We have Jackie Marino here. Thank you for being here, Jackie. Mm, so great to be here. You got a lot of pressure because you are the requested one. You're the one <laughs> who's like, hey, we need something different for the show, and here you are. So you better deliver. Oh, I'm good at that. <laughs> that lots to share. Hey, and uh, this is something that we anticipate, uh, you, you know, you want to share with spouses and things like that because we're going to go into some different things. But um, to give Jackie an intro, uh, Jackie is an acupuncturist, a relationship coach, and um, uh, a wellness expert. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we first met a couple weeks ago where um, Taylor Turnbull, you know him, he's a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. You've actually done some sessions and stuff with Taylor's whole family Yeah. most recently. Mm-hmm. Um, we always say that everything is like everything and that you can apply certain things that are productive and good into um, different facets of your life. So um, we first met, what, a month ago at a retreat that Taylor did with yeah. his senior leaders. And it was awesome, Adam, you weren't there, but um, we brought our wives to this event. And um, Jackie did a session with us where she, she kind of helped us identify what kind of our core values were and um, how to align with those so that we, we experienced less frustration and more happiness and better cohesion between couples and things like that. So mm-hmm. my experience with your work is 40 minutes long, and we're about to get another dose of it. So I like it. appreciate you being on. Yeah. Um, so what we, we were talking about this before we started, but... Where do you spend most of your time? What's, what's most, that's kind of a broad topic. What, what is most of your work um, doing? So no matter who's coming into my office or what group I'm working with or what's happening, I am spending my time talking with people about their connection to themselves and then how that's impacting the people in their world. And so I'm talking with couples, I'm talking with parents and their children, I'm all across the board talking with people about how do you best show up and how do you get the best out of the person across from you. And I'm looking at what are the hidden places where you're sabotaging or you're triggering them or you're just not understanding who they are like at their basic, like who is your child, who is your spouse and how do you relate with them in a way that is not just in your head but you're fully embodied and you're present and you're compassionate and there's enough of you there to actually show up well. Would you say that most people come to you um, frustrated or uh, when they've tried other things and it hasn't worked? For example, I'm thinking Mm -hmm. if you're a relationship coach, right? By the time you come to do therapy with somebody, Mm -hmm. you're usually probably meeting people. It's not like they're like, hey, you want to go grab some therapy today, right? You're probably meeting people after they've They've tried some things and there's, there's frustration or a problem that needs to be solved. So what, what are you, what, what's your strategy? Or maybe it's different for every person that mm-hmm. comes in, but what do you aim to do initially to start to tackle like internal or relationship turmoil? So oftentimes when people come and sit with me, they're getting real probably for the first time. And I think that's different 
with me than it is like in a therapy session. But I ask people a lot of questions that are going into the deeper roots of, yeah, if you're frustrated, where did that even start from? Because the way you're frustrated with work or your relationship right now didn't just start with this scenario. Mm -hmm. This is your patterning. And people have these different ways that they respond to stress. So a lot of men respond with frustration, but not all. A lot of people will end up responding with hopelessness mm. or something um, in, in my world of acupuncture, we talk about the five elements. And whatever your element mm -hmm. is, where you go out of balance with that is how you'll most likely respond. So like fire type people respond with lack of joy or hopelessness. Mm. And that's actually what I'll see a lot of. Um, and then there's frustration, anger, irritation. There's that whole realm. And then there's people who go like into despair or like really watery people will go into fear. And then sometimes it looks like anxiety. So a lot of what I'm doing first with somebody is kind of looking at their basic, like what are you made of? And when you're healthy and balanced, how do you show up? And I'm asking those questions. I wanna know what are we aiming to get you back to? Like when you're happy and you're healthy and you're in your groove, what does that look like? And how do we get you functioning there? And then if they say, okay, I'm really frustrated with my relationship or coming home to all my kids and all I can seem to do is just like short circuit or lash out or whatever. That's me. Just <laughs> that's right. me. Yeah. How do you lash out, Ty? I'd, uh, let's let Jackie continue. Well, but. <laughs> I don't know how you lash out. <laughs> no, I think this is really yeah. important because um, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the little experience I've had with this, what I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, is being able to identify what it is that you're feeling is kind of the first step to, to dealing with it appropriately. Because if it's like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm pissed off at this or I'm mad or I'm, I'm whatever, mm -hmm. a lot of times it's, being able to identify, okay, what am I actually feeling? For example, we yeah. deal with a lot of um, competitive, driven, creative, dynamic people. And they're not always happy, right? Because they're, they're in the game and a lot of their, their, their uh, mood is reacting to what's going on and, and to the world that they're creating. And so I think that this, these kind of topics are really important because what I hope mm -hmm. to learn from this is how do, I, how do I balance out, how do I react, and how do I help lead other people yes. that may not know um, what these feelings are and, and ultimately how can it lead to better performance at home and mm -hmm. at work, right? So to answer your question, I get, my head starts to hurt. Like when I get frustrated, and yeah. so maybe we can, you can even diagnose me, but mm -hmm. one of the things that, that I feel is I'm out in neighborhoods and I'm out with leaders and we're solving problems. Whether that means I'm trying to solve a homeowner problem, trying to recruit somebody, trying to solve a, a office conflict or something like that. Yeah. And it requires pretty much all of my brain. So the phone's going nuts um, in the background and I'm not even like paying attention to it, I'm on it. And then I come out of that and I start to solve all the problems on my phone and then I show up in my driveway, mm -hmm. right? And I look up. And if it's not that late, then I'll see the two front lights are on, which means my kids are still up. So a lot of times, I'll even like mentally say like, okay, I have to give these guys, like there's 30 minutes before they go to bed. I got to, you know, go see my kids for 30 minutes. And I notice I'll walk into the door and they're excited, but they'll attack me and it's great. And then I notice after about five minutes, I'm 
frustrated and short, and th just that transition, right? Or just mm -hmm. leaving that world and going into the other one. I don't, I don't do that super well. Yeah. I don't think I'm alone. A lot of the guys are just like us. So um, yeah, that's kind of the thought is tools. How do you deal with that kind of stuff? How can I, how can I um, have more cohesion when, when we do that? Because there's so many different dynamics to the professional life. Yes, and I love talking about this because there's a couple of things that can be done, like quick tools, because you know, in this life we're living, like no matter who you are, what you're doing, things are moving really fast, and there's so much demand of your attention and time, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, like you're doing one thing and then you're on your phone and then you're on to the next, and your brain is working so hard and problem solving so fast all day, and we were never really designed to do that. Our brains can do it, obviously we are, right? Mm -hmm. But we're trying to adapt with it, and then we're going, what are the tools that make me adapt even faster and help me to keep up with what's going on? Because we, by the time you get home, your brain is so exhausted. And emotionally, there's things you haven't registered, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in your head and you're working and you're doing and you're problem solving, there's other stuff happening in your body you're not registering. And then actually by the time you get home, which is a place where you let your guard down, and like you're with your wife and your kids and like they access you differently, you know, like you can't help it. You just start to shift. And then all that stuff that's been hanging out in your body all day, like little irritations or frustrations, that comes to the surface. So one of the things, like I wish everybody could do this, but if we could take a break in the middle of the day for two minutes to reset our brain, and then do that same break of two minutes right before you go into your house, you would operate like a different person. Mm. Because our brains are great, it's kind of like turning off your phone. Yeah. If you can catch yourself in the middle of the day before you've just gone off the deep end, you know, and that's, um, that's like uh, the kind of care where you're, you're getting ready for the meltdown. It's like, no, I'm gonna catch this before I even feel mm -hmm. like I'm really overworked, right? What do you do during the two minutes? That's a great question. So there's a variety of things we can do. But even carving out the two minutes where you come back and you're kind of, you're deciding that all those different places you're thinking about and all of that that you have going on, that you're just taking a pause. And I think that doing breath work is the best way to do this. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of breaths that I really like that are super fast. If you could have your team doing this, like if you guys all did this together during the day, I would love to hear the shift that would occur and how much more productivity would be possible. And it's literally just a couple minutes. So there's this one breath that I love and you are breathing in and out just through the left nostril. And that signals to our nervous system, like our base, whether you're in fight or flight or rest and relax, it's telling that part of your system that we're going to come back down to a resting state. Did you try it? I'm trying it. Mm -mm. Like I don't know how to just shoot so it up your left nostril. So I'm gonna show you. Okay. So you take your right thumb and you plug the right side. I was trying to do it without the plug. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and then let's just do this for a second. So then you're just breathing in Guys, and out. Guys, do this in your cars. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. If you're in your car, don't close your eyes. If you're out of your car and you can, close your eyes. 
and we're just breathing really slow. And the goal is that you want to breathe in like for a count of four, hold for a count of four, and breathe out for a count of four. And so we're just doing this breath. And this breath is signaling your nervous system that it's time to come into rest mode. Another really great time. You can stop whenever you're We're ready. All, both of us are out of rest. He's like, he's like, great. I almost fell asleep. Okay, so you want, you want to hear the cool other side of this? Yeah. If you plug the left side and breathe in and out the right, that is energizing for your brain. So that like turns your brain back on and goes, okay. So if you're like exhausted and you're just at the end of your rope and your brain is shutting off and you really need it to work, you can breathe in and out the right. What about a cocktail? What if you do the left and then the right? Like, you slow it down. Uh-huh. Because you, honestly, like, you can feel it. Like, as you bring the oxygen, uh -huh. like, you can feel like, okay, I actually feels a yeah. little bit better. Yeah. But then can you, like, shoot the right side up and be like, whew, I'll reset? Or is it kind of like so you're yeah, getting you different So you do the things? left and then you're like, I had to go So snap. you know what's so cool is there's no rules. These are, like, quick brain hack. Like, a lot of these breaths come <coughs> from um, the kundalini yoga tradition. But I use these all the time in all different types of ways where you can just see what works best for you. Do you guys ever, you know how like some people who have ADD, like if they drink coffee, it'll calm them down. Mm -hmm. You guys know about that? Yeah. It's like, like that's what like Adderall will do to people that actually right. have ADD, but if like, you don't have it, it. Different tools for different brains, mm -hmm. for different people. Like maybe that left up and out, like totally jacks somebody up. And so it's like one of these things, but the whole point is that when you're counting your breath and you're breathing in and out one side, are you thinking about anything else? Mm -hmm. Nothing. And so if we spend two minutes doing a breath like that, then you have given your brain a, like a time to pause mm -hmm. and then you can make a new choice. Well, even if we deal with, um, I mean, we're direct sales. Yeah. So we always talk about the one customer month that rocks you. And I've been doing this yeah. as long as anybody. Adam has too. And every now and then, even me, it messes with your confidence. It hangs on a little bit yes. longer. So this is a tool that you can just clear what happened real quick. I'm even thinking like before you start at the gym, after you start at the, or after you finish mm -hmm. at the gym, before you, you know, go into the office, you pull up the office, you breathe for two minutes, doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, you start, I think, I think the world is, tuning into this just a little bit more like I wear an Apple watch and it reminds me to breathe all the time and I always tell it to shut up I don't have time to breathe I'm a busy person yeah. <laughs> but in seriousness like yes. there is a lot of like awareness toward there's, there's I'll breathe when I want to breathe yeah just Thanks, I don't Apple. need a machine okay like you're no. already mm -hmm. taking over the rest of my life like I mean, uh, this one thing but there's you know there's there's headspace there's all these different things and I think more people are becoming aware of hey I need to figure out a way to be in balance. I remember reading a, uh, something by Simon Sinek that says the way we run often is compared to like, um, you touched on it, a snowmobile running across the desert. It can do it, but it's really hard on it, right? The snowmobile should be on snow and it will glide. Yes. So, and that, that's for salespeople, we operate with a lot of, um, what's the fight or flight chemical? The um, Cortisol. Cortisol. And yeah. adrenaline. We operate with a lot of that and mm -hmm. it's hard on your body. And so even like little tips like that where it's like, one, acknowledging that, hey, I'm feeling that. That customer shook me up, yes. right? So what's a, you know, if this could be a tool to kind of like bring mm -hmm. it back down. Yeah, and another part is that when we really close each chapter of the day that we're in, 
when we like do something like a ritual or a practice where it's like, okay, this is complete. Like I'm done here for today and I'm moving on to this section. When you do that, your whole body registers. But we like to bleed everything into the next and leave it really messy. Even like, I mean, so many people are guilty. Like you get up in the morning and you hop on your phone. Like you haven't even done anything to be like, okay, starting my day. Like I'm sending an intent. Like, like who am I right now? How did I wake up? Like if we give ourselves just a moment to register, okay, I'm starting this. All right, work day's over, complete. How do I complete it? Or like we're talking about middle of the day, maybe around lunchtime. You're like, all right, the morning is done. Whoever I dealt with, like if you had somebody who just was horrible, really difficult, really shook you, like, okay, can I put that down? Like, can I just take a moment and be like, that's over, and now moving on to the second half of my day. Do you have to do that a lot? Like, do people bring their stuff into your office and have it cling everywhere? Like, if a couple comes in, they're heavy, they're gnarly, they're combative, they're maybe they're harder on you, maybe they're second-guessing the me methods and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. You feel yourself in need of that, too. Oh, my gosh. People come in and tell me the things they don't tell anyone. I hear the hardest scenarios and the most intense emotional thing that's going on for somebody behind the scenes because mm. I'm the safe want place. Validation to the other person and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. too, right? And if I don't, like even within the session, like I'm a human and I start to get pulled in, like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, and what I want more than anything is for people to be happy and balanced. Like I, from my deepest place in my heart, that's why I do what I do. Right. But I can't get too tied in to what's happening in your mm -hmm. life because it'll eat me alive. Mm -hmm. And I have to keep my distance and keep objective and go, okay, how do I best tell you how to rebalance? And then it, when people leave my office, I have a whole ritual I go through. You do. Where I put down everything I collected from them and I really check, I have to stop and ask, am I clear? Am I in the clear? And if I'm not, I have another set of practices I go through. And then I do it all over again at the very end of my day as a big sweep to make sure nothing made it through the cracks. Tell me if this registers, because I used yeah. to um, I used to tell the teams that I ran, like we have this kind of like no negativity rule, um, just because the job's hard enough and I don't yeah. need anyone making it harder. And I had this um, comparison once where um, I was about to start a meeting and somebody came in and they just blew up all over me, all their anger, energy, uh, frustration, negativity. What's the point? They're just gonna cancel anyway. All this stuff, right before I was going out. And I was like, man, I feel like I'm in a white shirt uh, getting ready to like present. And you just came in and just poured ketchup and barbecue sauce all over me. Like literally like I'm carrying this around now. But I, when I think of it like that, I, I worry about our professionals yeah. carrying this into their home and touching their kids. Yes. And, 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 you know, they're, yeah. they're coming home to people. And they might not even be married. Maybe they're just people, they're going out for the night. And they're rubbing that all over everybody else, right? And I, I, I think when you think of things well, like in a... Even at the office, like guys, yeah, will start, right. guys will start talking people into these downward spirals pre before meetings start or after meetings or at lunch or whatever, so... Yeah. So is that a true thing? Yeah. Is that, is that, does it actually get on people like that? Because we are, as leaders, we are protectors and purveyors of culture. We want to create a place... So we always say that people perform in a manner consistent with how they feel. And so, um, first of all, do you see that? Mm -hmm. And what are some effective practices for, one, how people can take care of their own stuff so they don't spread it on other people, yeah. but also what to do to help drop it so it doesn't get all over you when 
it gets sprayed on you. Yeah. You know, we are vibrational. Like they've proven this over and over. Like our cells are vibrating all the time. And we know what it feels like when somebody walks into a room and they are like high vibration and they feel good. They're like sunshine. You can feel those people. You're like, oh, I could spend time with you. This feels great. And then you feel the people where it's like, I don't know what just happened to you, but without you opening your mouth, I can feel it, right? right. right? Yes. And so it makes sense that somebody would spew it all over you and then it's like they've shared it. It's like when a bunch we of walk germs. Into homes, right? I mean, if an if a effective oh, yeah. sales rep is in 15 other homes, how many different things are they picking up and carrying around? You know? A lot. And there are, like, I work in the world of energy and, like, your body's energy. And there are endless ways that you can cleanse that out of your field. But what I've noticed because I've learned so many and I've shared so many with people, you really have to find your own, but it's the decision. Like I talked about like these beginnings and endings. Like when you leave a home, what's your ritual? Like you're leaving their environment and you've been slimed in whatever way. And like, what do you do? Like some people have to physically touch their bodies. They're very tangible and it's like, okay. Yeah. Like you're taking a shower and you're like, all right, I'm good. And you make the choice. But if you don't do anything, where you're saying I'm making the choice and I'm wiping myself off, you just carry it with you. Some people, you can just take a big breath and you just imagine like you're getting a shower and you're done. But it's really our intention and our focus because whatever your brain is telling your energy and your body to do, that's what your body's doing. That's why our brains are so powerful. Um, whatever your brain is telling your energy, your body to do, that's what we're doing. That's what it's gonna do. And you're saying that is can be wrong your brain coming from like a logical place sometimes is saying I need this but that's not the thing that you necessarily need well what I was saying just now is that if your brain tells your body reset mm. clear out that energy drop it that's what your body's gonna okay. do So you're not saying your brain could do because from a logical standpoint it could be like that guy's an idiot but really that's your brain talking to you different different thing you're saying yeah but even if your brain says that then you're holding that energy that's right if you're going, that guy's an idiot, and you're going to hang on to that thought, you're going to hold that like frustrated idiot energy in your system. A lot of frustrated idiot well, energy out there. In our, <laughs> in our profession, we're yeah. going door to door. So, I mean, you could have one door that goes really bad. Mm -hmm. It's really hard not to take that energy to the next door, right? Yeah. We tell people all the time, we're like, look, man, you got to have a short memory because the next mm -hmm. door you knock could be the sale. And if you are you know, in your terms, vibrating at a low level. Yeah. And like you need to be on your A game every single door, otherwise you're gonna miss sales. Yeah. So I feel like our top sales guys, we always compare it to like water off the, off the duck's feathers, right? Like mm -hmm. it just flows off. And I think our top guys have learned to be able to do that. Just leave each door as its own experience, move on and then be on their A game yeah. at the next door. I did wanna ask you, Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so I feel like when a lot of our new people start, and even some of our experienced sales reps, when they get in slumps, a lot of it is anxiety-based, and the anxiety can, you know, even paralyze them from, you know, like we have guys, and, and this has happened, I would say, to probably anyone that's knocked doors for a long period of time. You drive out into a neighborhood, it's a Saturday morning or a Wednesday afternoon or whatever, and you just sit in your car because it's like you, this anxiety just stops yeah. you from even 
wanting to get out of your car. Yeah, and it makes you know? no logical sense. It makes no logical sense because get out of your car, go knock a door, and you can make money. It's how you pay for your wife. It's how you pay for your kids. It's how you pay for your entire life is going and knocking the door. And we'll have people sit in their car for hours and not get out because of this anxiety they're mm-hmm. dealing with. So maybe talk through um, you know, some of the little things that you might recommend that guys mm-hmm. can do to manage that anxiety yeah. and that pit in your stomach. And I mean, I don't know how you are, but if I go out and knock today, I still get that. I mean, I, we've been doing it for 16 years or whatever. I still get that pit in my stomach, mm-hmm. you know, on the first, second, third door or whatever. So how do you recommend guys manage through that? Yeah. First of all, rejection is really primal. Like the way our bodies have fear around rejection is very deep. And so that's why it makes no sense is because you're looking at like a, oh, this is, there's no real risk here. Like if they say no, there's more. But the animal part of us is going, if I get rejected and I can't make money and I can't be successful and then I can't survive, like there's this quick to survival. all of a sudden my wife hates me, all Uh of a sudden I can't pay for my kids Christmas, whatever. And and I'm not good enough, and if they just don't like me, I mean, it's sometimes that actually goes to your brain, but a lot of it's subconscious and in your body. Um, One of the, one of my favorite tools, and this is a tool that I've been using since I was a teenager, is called emotional freedom technique. It's also called tapping. You guys ever heard of this? I've tapped. You've I tapped mean, before. I've done it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know George Pratt down um, in San Diego? We're actually talking to him today, but I've done this with him. Yeah, he does. Okay. He'll, he'll coach like athletes and stuff, but yeah. he, he taps. I've tapped. Yeah. And so tapping is this way. It's actually based on acupuncture. You're tapping on acupuncture points. And the whole thing is that you're getting the fear response, the anxiety response, whatever it is, to break and you like break that connection and you get yourself back to a good space. So this is something that you can do anywhere and it's so simple. I can tell you a little bit about it, but there are endless videos online for emotional freedom technique and around anxiety. And so like anyone who's listening, if this is something where it's like you wanna investigate and you want a simple tool to work with yourself, that is one of the fastest things I've ever seen. It's so effective. And just so I can show you really quick, there's um, the base points. You start what they call the karate chop on the side of your hand and you're tapping there and you're doing a setup statement. That would be something like, even though I'm overtaken by anxiety right now, even though the anxiety is taking me down, I still know that I'm loved. And that just, first of all, just tells your body, it like reminds you, like this isn't the end of the world. We're not in an end of the world scenario right now. And then the rest of the points are top of your head, beginning of your eyebrows, outside of your eyebrows, under your eyes, your nose, chin, chest, and under your arm. And if somebody, if all they did was tap those points, their body would start to shift state. And there's a more complex way where you go through and you say, you can just go, this anxiety, it's eating me alive, this anxiety, I can't handle this. This is too much. And you're just tapping whatever's coming to your mind. And you're going through. And each point you tap, your system is starting to reorganize. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. And then 
the goal is to go through several rounds of like, I'm freaking out, I've got this anxiety, and you're tapping. And then you go, but everything's cool. I can do this. I can get up and knock on that door. I've done this before. I know I'm good. I know I'm supported. Let's see what's going to happen. And you're able to get to that next place because the first couple rounds of tapping started to move the anxiety. Because when they're stuck in their car, they're frozen. And that's not a mental choice, it's a nervous system choice. Their nervous system said, you're right, that's too dangerous to go knock on that door. We're going to freeze you here until it's safe. And then, like I've seen people, if all they do is just tap right on their chest, like this is it. This is all they can do. Like they remember like, what's a tapping thing? What do I do? Okay, I'm just going to tap on my chest and breathe and talk about how intense this anxiety is to myself. Just that alone, your nervous system starts to shift and then you can make a new choice. That all so make sense? Yeah, because we always, I think a lot of times from a leadership perspective, we try to talk logically and be like, listen, they're not going to hurt you. I've never been hurt on a door. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Set, being, set a rule. A baby. Yeah, set a rule that once door, you hit dude. park, you <laughs> jump out, right? Yeah. But I do think it's interesting to acknowledge that this is not, you said it's not a brain thing. Mm -mm. It's, a, it's a body thing. It's a nervous system thing. Yeah. It's a primal fear that goes back way beyond, which is why we can't logic somebody out of it. Mm -hmm. And that is important to know, is that there's certain things with people where you could talk to them all day and you could coach them a hundred times. Yeah. Like, how come you can't shift? because they aren't the ones in charge of that. It's a different part of their system. Mm. That's really interesting. Mm. Um, talk a little bit about mm -hmm. um, some of the tools that, that you um, coach couples with. Um, and you, you know the nature of what we do. What are a couple things that come to mind that would be helpful that we can um, use in our homes? Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about is you, you meet with a lot of um, spouses of professional people yeah and you talk to them about how to support I, I can tell you personally and uh, I, I know a lot of our guys will identify with this um, a lot of times the what you want from your partner can feel frustrating because they don't know how to provide what it is that you want and if it's not there you quickly become dismissive for example mm -hmm. um, I've seen this in a lot of different people not just my own situation but um, if somebody is complaining, say for example, I work for Adam and I come home and Adam chose somebody else for a promotion and not me. And I go to my wife and I say, I'm just frustrated, freaking Adam, he chose somebody else and this guy hasn't even been here as long as me and he hasn't done as much as I have. What I've noticed a lot of times is the wife or husband wants to support the okay. spouse and to say, yeah, is Adam an idiot? Does he not know that you've been there? And you know, a couple of times that's happened in my own home and I'm like, this isn't helping me. This is mm -hmm. not what I need. What well, I need is... The other part of it is, is the, from my experience, say it's a, a husband that works for us and the wife is the supporting, you know, character. The husband will come home and vent about specific people. He will then forgive those people really quickly. The wife will hate that person for eternity. Like yeah. the wife literally will be like, I'm never talking to that person again. They're out to get my husband. Mm -hmm. And she's justifiably defensive toward her spouse and everything else, right? So, But I think it's born of a place of them wanting to support. <coughs> I don't think they're trying to cause a riff. I think they're saying, yeah, my brother says this all the time, is they, they have the husband's back. They just don't know how to do it. And I found myself saying to my wife before, like, hey, what I need in this moment is encouragement. I need you to say, hey, you I got this. I need you to hate this person. You've done I this just before. Need you to, I need yeah. you to, I actually find this better if, 
um, the spouse like defends the person to the it's a, you know what I mean it's almost like hey it's not that bad like what did you know anyway yeah you can so kind of see what, what we're think? getting at but this this scenario happens I would say pretty regularly and I don't think it's unique to our field right no yeah no I think people want to come home and vent about all kinds of stuff but I think what you said is really important is setting the container like what do you need from your spouse in that moment like, what is it that you are hoping to get out of that conversation? And... Does that differ based on um, your makeup and your, like, in your emotional makeup? Because I can tell you what I need in that moment. Yeah. But it's probably not the same for everybody, right? Like, Does what I need... It's not the same for everybody. Yeah. It's not the same in every scenario. Like, like what you were just talking about is, help me change my perspective. Like you, you were saying like maybe my partner could like defend them so you can change perspective on what happened mm -hmm. and you're not just stuck in your victim viewpoint. Right. Like I wasn't chosen, they're the asshole. You know, it's like, wait, what else is here? And help me with this, yeah. Help me, like, can you help me see, like I feel really stuck seeing it this way. What else is here? Mm -hmm. What I would say that I would need in that scenario is for, my wife, her name is Stacy. Yeah. You met Stacy. For her to say, "Hey, you got this. You've done this five thousand times. You'd be all right. Yeah, you know what you're doing." To articulate that oh, when you're in the right. middle of a thing, though, it's like you're sitting there, like in the middle of a thing, and she's not helping you the way you want to be helped. And she's trying One, to you're yeah. like, you may not even realize she's not helping you the way that you that you yeah. are hoping to be helped. And then even if you do, you can't really stop mid-argument and be like, "Hey, can we time out real quick?" Right. Um, you're not over. actually <laughs> doing what I need you to do right now, and she's gonna be like, like. Go pound sand, dude. Like, I was here doing the dishes when you came home and you just unloaded everything on me, yeah. so. But as I say, I do the same thing because mm -hmm. I come home and I'm like, she's like, I gotta find a way to have more time to do this. I'm like, well, why don't you just do this, this, and this? And she could easily say, okay, dude, that's, that's actually that's not, not what, what I need. need. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so there's the studying <clears throat> tools. What works? So what we're talking about is conversations that aren't just gonna happen one time. Like, whenever you come home from a hard day where things didn't go your way, you and your wife can have an understanding. Like when I show up like this, this is what I need. And we're not gonna do it perfect, but you don't have to have that conversation in that moment. You can tell her like when I come home discouraged and I feel like I didn't get what I needed or I didn't succeed the way that I want to, can you just remind me I'm awesome? And can you maybe remind me of a time when I did succeed and that we're gonna keep moving forward? And of course they would do that. They're trying to help in the first uh -huh. place, right? Yes. Yeah. But those conversations, what I just said to you, hardly ever happen. We don't set the groundwork with each other when we're outside of this, the moment of stress. And sometimes you realize it after that moment of stress. So say it happens and it all blows up. And then you realize, you know, this is what I actually needed from her. And then sometime the next day you say, hey, can I talk to you? I just want to set us up for success next time this happens. And then the other piece about like the wife keeps hating them forever, mm -hmm. is that it's also important to let them know that you've forgiven. Because sometimes that doesn't happen either. To be like, hey, I know I really threw that person under the bus, but that was situational. I don't feel about them as a whole. And I'd like for us to let them off the hook and reset. That's important. Yeah, that's for important. For sure, because that <laughs> probably never happens. Well, yeah, and a lot of times, like, and I don't know if this is, you could tell me, I don't know if yeah. this is specific to men or women, but Adam and I have been friends for a long time. We can get angry at each other and we can be all right a couple of minutes later. So I yes. can be like, he always does this. 
And then my brain and body knows, okay, he doesn't actually always do that. You were just mad and you're over it. But maybe becoming, being able to come back and be like, you know what, that was probably unfair. He's probably just trying to do his job. And actually, I didn't perform here, here, and here. I'm good. But that's just so hard to do because then you have to be vulnerable and you have to be... Ty and I have been in a few fights. Yeah. A couple. Yeah. But we've gone through it, right? Yeah. <laughs> we've gone through it beautifully. I really I love you. I usually dude. let you know how I feel and how it made me feel. And you're usually wrong. <laughs> About how he's feeling? Yeah. I'm just kidding with you. No, but it's true because yeah. I have great feelings towards Adam. And uh, our guys do this all the time because we work in partnerships and we run really dynamic businesses. And so um, yeah. I feel like I, I do. I feel like, you know, we can, I'm grateful for a place where we can have disagreements and we can have competition. And at the end of it, it's like your brother. I, don't, I fight with my brothers all the time and we don't hate each other. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, I'm thinking about, you know, we've been talking a lot about personal relationships, but all of our management groups, so every one of our markets is led by a group of anywhere from two to five managers. And yeah. they, they're, they're managing a team of 20 to 50. I mean, some of our teams have 60 to 80 reps in it, and wow. you have five people managing that group. Yeah. And those, that group of management has to be in lockstep almost at all times. And where we see these groups fall apart is it usually, it usually manifests in the performance of the team. So that team usually starts declining quickly. And then it's like a, our spidey senses go off as a leader and we're like, all right, something's up with this office. And then you go start talking to the management and you find out they haven't even talked to each other in two weeks. They've just seen each other at the office and then they leave. Mm -hmm. And our best leadership groups have a group text where it's just like on fire all day, every day. They're talking about reps on the team. They're talking about what's going on. And they talk to each other about how they've made each other feel, if they made an offhanded remark in a meeting or whatever. Like they're very open with their communication. So, um, and of course, most of these teams are led by men who are in, you know, more often than not, poor communicators to begin with. Yeah. So, what would great you Great salespeople, though. Great salesmen. <laughs> right. And part of that, part of the reason they're great salesmen is they can, like, compart, and I would say this is, like, me, is I can compartmentalize my emotions and have the ability to just go knock the next door and be on my A game, no matter what I'm sort of feeling inside, right? So it's like I gunny sack all my feelings. Yes. And I can just still put on a happy face. But it, deep down, it's like building, right? Yeah. So, um, so what would you recommend for our groups of leaders who the success of their team really relies heavily on their ability to communicate well, mm -hmm. let each other know how they're feeling, if they're feeling undervalued or if they're feeling underappreciated or not involved enough or whatever it is. How do you recommend these groups function together at a really high level from a communication standpoint? I mean, those questions you just said are so valuable. I'm wondering how often they get asked and not on what level. I would say. So, and the thing I was thinking is that there are, there's the type of men who are just going to offer it up, be like, hey, that hurt my feelings. I'm not happy with this. This isn't working for me. And then there's a whole section of them who are not going to say that. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask them in order for it to be revealed. Right. And then how you ask them really makes a big difference because some people, you have to actually like sit down and be like, hey, like, what, what's happening on these levels for you? And then other people, 
Be like, you need to send them an email. Be like, hey, are any of these things a factor? And like keep your distance. Well, and they also, there's this other dynamic of um, there's a competitive nature even within their group, right? Where they're like, hey, if I outperform this guy, yeah. I'm going to get a pay raise or this uh -huh. or that or a shift in the, you know, the, we set up all of our management teams um, as like equity holders of an office and that equity can sometimes shift based on performance. So there's this like inherent like setup to compete against each other, but then the best teams are really vulnerable with each other at the same time mm -hmm. and like have each other's backs, even though they're also sort of competing against each other. So it's a really interesting setup. Yeah. I don't think that there's not like a one size fits all. You have to know who you're working with. And it sounds like you guys do for the most part. Like your your teams are close, like you can see what's happening. And like you were saying, like all of a sudden you watch that there's something going on with an office. There are signs happening so much earlier than that. Mm -hmm. And it's like who's paying attention? Like who who's paying attention to their team or the people around them? And is that part of the ethic of watching each other and like who's fallen off the deep end? Who's not themselves? And how do we acknowledge them because even just saying like hey are you not feeling cared for or, you probably wouldn't say it in your that way but like are you not or i would just more like grunt it like uh, uh, yeah what's up with you dude <laughs> right and that's often all that's needed is for someone to notice and for a conversation to happen hmm. and it can be a short conversation and that can totally shift somebody but often it becomes all about business and all about productivity and not about the human. And we have to continue treating each other like we're humans. And you guys have a tribe going on. There's a whole tribe of people working under you. And even though there's competition going on, there's this care for each other. Like, hey, we're building this thing together. Mm -hmm. And there has to be a way that we check in, like what's the health of the tribe mm. as you people, as humans, not just as producers. And so it's kind of a value system thing. Like, is that built into the company? And then letting yeah. the people know in the company, like, hey, we want you to speak up about these things. You're not just a money maker. You're not just a producer. Like, we want you healthy and happy as a person and going home and healthy and happy. And if that's not happening, we need you to speak up. Well, and right? I, was, I was just thinking, you know, like, uh, friendly PSA to all everyone that is listening. Yeah. Like if it's like the if you see something, say something, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of mm -hmm. our sales reps, even if you've just started, if you notice someone in the office like that is off or like struggling, like yeah. talk to one of the leaders and talk to them. Yeah. Or yes. even if it's even if you're a sales rep and you notice one of your managers is like really struggling, mm -hmm. go talk to them or go talk to the person above them and let them know and just say, hey, like I noticed. Bill yes. was really struggling today, like, you should reach out to him, you know? We were, we were at lunch with um, a couple leaders yesterday, and um, we were talking about, <coughs> I'm reading this book called The Culture Code, and they're do, they do this study of um, Popovich, the, the coach of the Spurs, right? See? San Antonio Spurs. San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. Greg mm -hmm. David Robinson. Yes. All right. So, um, 
he's known for having just this incredible culture and he's known for treating his players like individuals and knowing them kind of inside and out. Yeah. And so because he knows them inside and out, he has pretty unconventional ways of managing them that work incredibly well. Yeah. And so we were talking about this one loss that they experienced as a team, it's in the book. And um, they had had a, a reservation set up at a restaurant where they were gonna go eat if they won. They lost, it was heartbreaking, and everyone was kind of like, are we still gonna go? And so uh, Popovich says to the guys, change and go to the restaurant. He went to the restaurant by himself. Uh, actually, I think he had another coach with him, but what he did when he got there was he reorganized the tables. And so he said, okay, I need this person sitting with this person. And he kind of like looked at the room and said, okay, this is kind of how it needs to feel. Mm-hmm. And then the interesting, the author says he sat down like before everybody came in, because he's dealing with this loss too. He's every bit as emotionally invested in the game. And he's like, I watched him get over the loss. Like it was a kind of like, like you were talking about, almost like the shower. Yep. I should send you this chapter because it'd, it'd be interesting for you to look at it. But um, he says, I watched him get over the loss. And then when the players came in, he touched every one of them, connected with them, asked how they were doing. And they came in and they, they rebuilt and they went forward. But how many, first of all, I'm interested in your view on that as a leadership principal and how, what's mm-hmm. actually happening there. But two, how often we see people make the mistake of pull your head out, what are you doing? This was an important game and why that doesn't register on a human level. Because I always joke with the leaders that at at our core, we're all just children wanting to be loved. Like literally, that's it. And so you think you're having an argument over a promotion or a sale, but really you're having an argument over value and Mm -hmm. do you even like me? Mm -hmm. Full on. And there's a time and a place for leading with that feeling of like, hey, pull your head out, we're going. Mm-hmm. Like, we gotta make stuff happen right now. Like, whatever you got going on, get over it, well, here we go. Yeah. Like, you can lead with that really effectively at times. And then, when your team is devastated, then you have to come from your heart if you want real rebuilding. And so it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to see the times when certain things are needed. Because you can break people. You can really break their trust in you and make them feel like, oh, you really don't care about me as a human. I understand now you're using me as a tool. And that might not be your intent, but like what that coach did, he wasn't from his head organizing that table. He was in his heart. He was going, who needs to sit next to each other for camaraderie right now? How do we organize this so we can come together as humans and comfort each other and clear this loss out and then start new? And how do we move forward from here? And, you know, I I was a college volleyball player, and I had that experience of the coach who didn't know how to drop into the heart and didn't know how to really go, okay, this is how we're going to rebuild. She always led with the, like, harsh hammer. And I went from a very high-level player, very high-level in high school. I was a state MVP for two years and led my team to state championships. And this woman just systematically pulled me apart because she didn't know. She didn't, and I'm one of those people. Like, I'm not one of the, you can just pound on me and I'll keep moving. But she systematically, I was 18, you know, you can do that to people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really learned at that time, it's like, no, no matter what team we're in or what scenario we're in, as a good leader, you're feeling into, do my, does my team right now need, like, big motivation Do they need me to soften? Do they need me to just listen? Like what's what's the need here? And instinctually we know this. 
but you have to be in your body and present to feel what's needed. Well, right? I, played, I played football my whole life, and football is a culture of mm. screaming coaches, right? Yes. And um, it wasn't until college that I had the first coach in my entire life that wasn't a screamer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was so refreshing to have a coach just talk to you like an adult yes. and to just say, you know, look, um, this is what we need to have happen. If, if you aren't able to do this, then I have to find someone else that can do it, you know? And it's like he would just talk to you like a person. And I remember, um, and I was always interested in becoming a coach. That was always kind of like my first, like my first like love uh, mm-hmm. was to become a college football or a high school football coach. Like that's still like my bucket list thing. Like when I retire someday, you're gonna find me out coaching high school football somewhere. Yeah. Like in my you're gonna yell or you're 60s. Gonna talk, I'll be a screamer, yeah. Okay. Um, I've learned nothing from any of this. <laughs> but uh, no, I, uh, so I remember we had a win um, and our coaches were really hard on us the next, um, the following Monday, like watching film really hard on us and we we're like man like we just won like we thought we would like you know be getting a bunch of praise and whatever and they were like really critical on all these different things and the next or it was like a couple weeks later we had the worst loss of our year we lost like 49 to 6 or something like terrible and i just remember thinking we are going to get crushed on monday and it was like the happiest film session we'd had the entire year and it was like they only focused on positive things we did the whole film session. And from a psychology standpoint, I remember, you know, because I was always watching my coaches, like, thinking, someday I'm going to be a coach. I want to watch how they handle Mm -hmm. a big loss like this. And so it was a really huge learning moment for me. And then now that I'm in, you know, a coaching position of sorts now, whenever I see our guys really struggling, like, I never come down on them hard. You know, it's like I'm usually hardest on our people, or the people that I work with directly when they're actually doing fairly well. And I'm, and I'm just trying to get them to get that one extra gear out of them. Like I'll push them a little bit harder. But when they're struggling, like that's not the time to, that's not the time to be the screamer and yeller coach. But I think you the know? thing you said is if you're present, you'll know. Because mm-hmm. the question I was gonna ask you is, and it goes with, with relationships, it goes with kids. Because I'm thinking about this, I have one child that when you come down on him. They just shut down. Well, he, he he'll, he'll fight me, but he gets emotional. So I can tell you he's sad. And so it's like, you're not belligerent, you're hurt, yeah. right? But I think, and so I was gonna ask, how do you know what to do for who? But I think you said it, if you're present, somehow you know kind of what to do. The problem is we're often distracted. Yes, and like it's a, it's a choice before you go into a difficult conversation or even while you're in it, like you find yourself there to transition from your ego and your head and come back into your heart and go, what's my agenda? Like, what, what am I actually wanting to get out of this? Mm-hmm. And you can start with talking with somebody and being a little more like harsh and heavy handed and you can watch how it's affecting them and you're like, oh, throw that out. This mm-hmm. is not having the effect I'm looking for. And you can just switch gears and take a breath and just even ask the person, whether it's a child or somebody else, like, what do you need right now? I actually think that's one of the most powerful things, and we often don't do that. But just ask the person, what do you need? And you know what? They often won't know until you've asked them that. And then they have to reflect, and they go, 
oh, and, and something might come up in that moment, or let me get back to you. But it's not always our job to figure out exactly what do they need, how do I fix them, what, what's the medicine here. Sometimes our job is just to ask and reflect it back, be like, or even if you have somebody who's not performing or you want them to go up a gear, go, what do you think you need? What do you think is the thing that's going to push you into this next gear? Mm. Or what do you think is missing? Or what do you think in your life right now, what do you think is the one thing that is sabotaging you? I freaking love those questions. Why do people sabotage themselves? Well, most of the time it's because they're scared. And do you guys know about like the upper limit theory or the glass ceiling? So interesting. We have a level of how much success and happiness we think we're allowed to have. Everyone has this set point. It's often related to your childhood and what you've seen or what you've been told. Like you're allowed this much. And when we're trying to push through those ceilings, that's when you get the most self-sabotage. Like as you're approaching to make more money than you ever have or be more recognized or have more success than ever, your body goes into this protection mode. Like, no, no, no. Like if we go above that, we have to be more responsible, accountable. You have to up level. You're going to be more visible. All these things are going to happen. You sure you want that? And we have to contend with those things. And if you're busy and you're not paying attention to those, then what happens is you just start to pick up behaviors that will sabotage that success. So you don't have to even deal with it. But for those of us who have been to those moments, like you feel it when you're about to up level, right? And life will throw you some curveballs, And you'll be asked like, are you willing? Like you're gonna have to kick it into gear right now and you're gonna have to really push to push past that level and move up into this next place, right? So that's why it's helpful as a leader. You know what that feels like and you can watch when people are in that zone. And you can warn them. Be like, hey, you're about to up level and live a life you've never lived. And so you need to be aware that you can start picking fights with your spouse, like making mistakes in your life, not taking care of your body, like all these things that would then end up sabotaging. Um, it's kind of like Brian Tracy's income thermostat. So there's a really popular sales training. It's called the psychology of selling. Mm. Um, and it's really good. But he talks about this. We have a certain um, belief on how much income we think we should make. It's the same thing. But he yeah. says that people that say that's $100,000 a year, uh-huh. if they make $100,000 a year by October, they shut down. And they basically yes. just say, okay, I can't get myself to call on another customer. But if, it, if you're at 80 and it's December, you'll do crazy things. You'll pick up an extra job. You'll take risk. You'll sell more. You'll do all these things. And I find it interesting that so much of that is just that. It's, based on, it's not based on reality. It's based on what somehow is programmed into your brain. Is there any, is there any um, kind of as like a closing question on mm-hmm. this topic, is there any way to remove that glass ceiling? What have you seen works? So being aware that it's happening is the most powerful thing. And understanding, so maybe you don't realize what your glass ceiling is made of. Like maybe you didn't know that somewhere as a child you were told like, yeah, you can't make more than this. You are not capable. This is not in your wheelhouse. This is not going to happen for you. Or you can't have a successful job, a happy marriage, happy family, and be healthy. It's one or the other. No one gets to do that, but people don't know. 
And so when you start to watch your life get funky, or like you guys see it, like you start to see somebody just totally start to mess up their life, it's the question like, what do you think you're worth? What do you think you are capable of? Do you deserve it? And those questions people have to just evaluate and start to see their behaviors. Because the, like the self-sabotage stuff, it happens unconsciously. Like all of a sudden, you look back and you're like, why have I been eating like crap for a month? I was on a roll. How come I haven't gone to the gym? Why am I picking on my wife every time I go home? It's like they don't even see it. It's this yeah. blind spot. And so, like there's a great book called The Big Leap, which is phenomenal. And he breaks down the whole thing and all the behaviors and all the different ways we do this. But really the bottom line is you have to recognize it's happening. And then if you can see like, oh, this year I'm gonna make more money than I've ever made. I need to put things in place ahead of time to support myself. I need to make sure as I'm getting to the second half of the year that I don't let my self-care things slip, that I'm doing breath work, that I'm doing things to reset myself, that I'm not just letting the stress build and build until I break. You got me thinking that like all the problems we deal with are not actually the problems we think they are. It's like yeah. all of like, I, I'm in my head, I'm like, I need a notebook right now because I have a million ideas for our sales org. I, yeah. because all I want to do is just plug my right nostril. <laughs> right <now>. But <laughs> I'm it. saying like, it's interesting in dealing with people. I think, I think the takeaway that I'm feeling from this is ask really good questions. Mm -hmm. Not, don't just, if someone's like, hey, I'm really mad that you did this. It's like, hold on, what's actually happening here? Because so often we respond to what we're hearing and not what else is happening. And then there's also a self-awareness thing to, to be present and take notice of yes. certain things because it's indicative of something else. But that, that's really big for me, like to hear like, maybe this person that's having a struggle that I'm so frustrated with right now believes that they're not worth the money they just made and now they're just acting all crazy. Yes. You know? That's great. How can our people find you? Um, you can find me at my website. Mm -hmm. So I'm at theheartactivationproject.com. And then I'm under that same handle on Instagram. And those are really good places to find me. Um, I, I work with people all over. I do all kinds of phone sessions and Zoom. And I see people in person in San Diego. And uh, I, I love working with people on all levels. I work with a lot of high-level executive men, which is so much fun for me. Because I get to really like these things. Like, you might not be able to get these really deep conversations with your management, but you realize in yourself, I want this kind of attention and I want to break down where I'm sabotaging, where am I stuck, yeah. like what specific tools actually will work for me, and that's what I do with people, is I go in and specialize all of that and help them see their blind spots. Well, I would say to anybody that's listening, um, one, this kind, of, this kind of work, it's really impossible to have imbalance and sustained success long term so yeah. this is interesting uh, I would encourage people to reach out yes. I think this kind of stuff is well, very healthy and it's not even I mean aside from even hopefully they reach out to you but literally any type of therapy is healthy right and we talk to our guys all the time I think there's mm -hmm. sometimes this negative stigma like oh I don't need therapy like I'm doing fine it's not that you're not doing fine or you need therapy it's just like you said yeah a therapist or a coach or yes. a wellness whatever 
um, they help you see blind spots mm -hmm. that you're just not seeing. And um, having a second set of eyes on your life is really healthy. It's about being the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone who's interested in being real with who they are and what their potential could be has somebody outside of them looking at it with them. And it usually can't be your spouse because they're too close. Too close. Or you even know? a family member. Or even, yeah, it has to be somebody who has some sort of objectivity on you and who's not afraid to tell you the truth. Right. That's great. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. Thank, thank you, you for rehabbing Adam and I live mm -hmm. just a little bit. Um, but I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your ability to adapt to, to our world and to speak to our salespeople. So yeah, wish you pleasure. continued success and balance. Thank, thank you. Thank you. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.